0: I tell you what, I'm glad we get to be together to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, what a day it is. I never get tired of Easter. Do you? Never. Never. One person. Just kidding. (laughs) Let me tell you, we had a great time yesterday. How many of you either volunteered or participated in the Easter egg hunt? I tell you, thank you. We had, I think, 30 plus uh, volunteers and uh, around um, 300 people that were here on our campus yesterday. It was phenomenal. Now, we started in the winter wonderland uh, that morning, like 31 degrees when I got in my car to drive over here, but it did warm up. And this morning, it was a little cold. I believe it was, uh, when I woke up, it was 30, uh, 34 degrees on my phone. Of course, I was under my warm sheets at that point. Um, But it's supposed to be like 70-something today. What's up with this Virginia weather? Just totally different. Anyway, something that uh, just thrilled my soul yesterday, to see something I never thought I would ever see. I saw uh, our youth pastor... Put his body in such weird shapes because he's a break dancer. I hope he doesn't do it for a living, but he did a great job. Aaron, I just want to give you kudos. Uh, you did it on cement right outside on these steps. And you did a phenomenal job. As they, uh, we're doing this for the kids and sharing the gospel. But it was just a phenomenal day yesterday. And today is even greater. So I'm just thankful. We're celebrating. As I said earlier, we're celebrating with Christians all over the world. And throughout history, this resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. It was the love of God that brought Jesus to earth to be sacrificed on a cross in our place. And it is the love of God that offers us new life now because of a risen Savior. Today I want us to start a four-week series on what is called Love Reigns. I want to focus on on that which is over uh, and superior to all. We're going to be discovering over the next couple of weeks how God's love transforms our past, our present, and our future. Now, I want to talk about love in a way that perhaps isn't something you think about uh, often. Love is a word used flippantly in in so many uh, places. And unfortunately, many people misunderstand and even underestimate the power of true love. Too often, we value loving ourselves as the ultimate. more than any other kind of love. We've replaced the gospel of God's love through a savior to a gospel of self-esteem. Trying to let the whole world revolve around us as if that's where we'll find peace and contentment. Every child is born selfish and they need that attention. But as we grow and understand, we need to understand God's love and the gospel through his love. The gospel of self-esteem defines love as making much of me. But the love that God proclaims is when he comes to us and enables us to make much of him. And we find complete contentment and peace in that. When Jesus prays in the high priestly prayer of John 17, praying to the Father before his crucifixion, we see an entirely different essence of love. God's love is that he loves us, not so he would make much of us, but that he would enable us to be saved to understand what true love is in him. When the blooms of the trees begin to to bud, when the flowers of the fields just begin to spread, when you hear the chirping of the birds, it doesn't make much of you, but it draws you in to appreciate and enjoy life that's bigger than you. How many of you have ever been to the Grand Canyon? A few. Definitely take the trip. Don't die on this planet without having seen that magnificent natural phenomenon. When you walk up to the edge of the Grand Canyon, we took our children years ago. and We've had a few children since then, so I think we need to take another trip. Mark that down. For, for me, Jennifer, that we need to go. We did a motorhome trip, by the way. You talk about a fun thing. Get, get like six kids in a motorhome and just travel across the United States, you know, from Georgia all the way to, uh, uh, to the Grand Canyon. It's an adventure. Especially when your transmission goes out somewhere along I-40 near Flagstaff. And then it breaks down about 50 miles from home again. That's a lot of fun. But we went out there and and i had been the Grand Canyon many times I went to uh, Grand Canyon University which was in Phoenix Arizona and, and been up there as a college student but I knew that I wanted to take uh, our, our young family out there and, and when you get to the edge of the Grand Canyon you've seen it for the first time and, and maybe you've seen a video maybe you've seen a postcard but nothing captures it like your eyeballs when you walk up to the edge and I'm telling you what you don't walk up and immediately feed your self-esteem going Oh, let me take a selfie. That's not the first thing that comes to mind. When you walk up to the edge of the Grand Canyon, you're speechless. You're like, wow. Nobody described it like this. It draws you outside of yourself to realize there's an entire universe that's bigger and greater and more majestic than your little world. And let me just tell you, when you see God for for the first time, when your eyes are opened, your heart is wide open, and you really see the majesty of God, it's not about you. It's all about him. And then you begin to understand what true love is. That a great God would invite you into his presence so you would experience his great love. So, as we consider today's theme of love reigns, I want us to to begin to understand that the greatest love, the love that reigns, is a love that draws us away from ourselves and towards something greater or someone greater than ourselves. The greatest love is, is that which turns your eyes and your heart to the infinite and the eternal. The greatest love is the one that has authority to arrest your souls and then fill it with joy. Today I want us to consider five ways that love, true, biblical, divine love reigns. The first one is this. Love reigns in the Godhead. When I say Godhead, I'm talking about the Holy Trinity. We, as believers here in this church, believe that there is a trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes when you refer to God, you're thinking of only the Father. But uh, in the Old Testament, even in, in the vernacular of the Old Testament, Elohim is a plural word describing God. There is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's not one being manifested in three different ways. It's three individual personalities that work in unison to demonstrate the power of God. And in this Holy Trinity, there is a divine love that is unmatched in any place in this world. The God the Father loves God the Son. Have you ever considered that? You think that God loves you? Great, He does. But His highest love is for His Son. It tells us that Jesus' baptism, we just had a baptism just right there, and and as magnificent as it was, imagine when Jesus, who wasn't a sinner, stepped up to the plate and told John the Baptist, I want you to be baptized. I want you to baptize me. And of course, John the Baptist thought, well, I'm not worthy of that. But Jesus did it as a demonstration, but he also did it so that you would know who he is. He stepped into the waters of baptism, and the Holy Trinity was all present. Jesus, the Son of God, was being baptized. He had taken on flesh, and he was there, demonstrating this in front of all. The Holy Spirit descended like a dove. And God the Father was there and he spoke audibly. He only does this a few times in the New Testament. But he spoke audibly. And what did he say? That he wanted everyone to hear. He said, this is my beloved son. With whom I am well pleased. Listen to the words of the Father here. I love my son and I find my pleasure in him. It is... Essential that we understand the Holy Father's love of the Holy Son. He speaks audibly another time in the the New Testament. This was in Matthew chapter three with the baptism, but Matthew chapter 17, he speaks again as Jesus was with just a few of his disciples. They'd gone up on a mountain and he was transfigured in all of his glory. Even Moses appeared, and, and I always love the, the story of Moses being there, because if you know anything about Moses, who led the, or the, the, uh, the Israelites out of Egypt, he never got to go to the promised land. He died in the wilderness. The whole generation, anybody over, or over 20 years old, had to stay there 40 years, and they all died. And then the younger generation, as they got older, got to go into the promised land. And so I've always thought, Moses, who was faithful, though he messed up a few times. And certainly he had the consequences of that. He never got to go to the promised land. Oh, but he did. In this moment at the Mount of Transfiguration, as Jesus was being shown all his glory, Moses gets to step foot right there in the promised land. God kept his promise to Moses at that point. But in that moment, as they're all around, and it was so exciting, even Peter says, hey, why don't we set up some tents here? Let's just camp out here for the remainder of our lives. Kind of like when you go to camp and you don't want to come back home. Yeah, you've been there. And so he's there. He's, man, this is so exciting. I want to just stay right here. And then God the Father speaks audibly again. And he (laughs) says the same thing. This is my son, my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased and then he says one other thing. He says, listen to him. At the beginning, he's, he's establishing Jesus as the son of God in the ministry. Here he's concluding or getting near the end of his ministry. And he says, listen, I think I'm adding the commentary here. But God's saying, this is my son. I love him. I want you to love him like I love him. This is the one I find pleasure in. Oh, I want you to find pleasure in him. And there's only so many days left before he's going to die and rise again. You better listen to his words because it'll change your life. This is the love the Father has for the Son. And we find that Jesus has that same love for the Father. In John chapter 14 verse 31, he says, But I do as the Father has commanded me. I mean, why? So that the world may know that I love the Father. There is a holy love here that until we're in heaven, I don't think we'll fully comprehend. The Father absolutely loves the Son. And the Son absolutely loves the Father. And the Father puts that on display when he speaks. And the, and the Son puts that on display when he obeys he wants the world to know that there's an unmatched love between them. Too often I've heard in, in, in people's theological misunderstanding is that the reason God created us was because he was lonely. That he was lacking. I don't find that in scripture at all. When you have a love with the Holy Trinity, there is no one outside of that that's going to fill them. See, God... It doesn't need to be served by human hands as if he is lacking anything. He could have been completely content to just remain that way without creation. But he chose to create, why? To expand his love. Because God's love does reign as God loves us. In John chapter 15, verse nine, it says, "As the Father has loved me," Jesus speaking here, "As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, abide in my love." I love the phrase here. He, like, "There's a love between my father and I, and I've been sent here to expand that love to you. Now we're inviting you to be in the loving relationship that we have with one another. Sometimes we we turn around saying the whole world is all about us and God just came for us. And though he did, it wasn't all about you. It was about you being missing out on the love that is only found in the Father when we abide in him. God's love for us was to rescue us from the self-love that seems to destroy us. God doesn't love us because he is lacking. He loves us because we lack. You even see in Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us, and that's a rich love. He says God shows his love for us in this, that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. You know what that lets me know? That God doesn't love us because we are valuable. We were sinners. Separated from, nothing worthy. God doesn't love us because we're valuable. God loves us to give us value. Greater love has no one than this. That someone lay down his life for his friends. John 15, 15, 13. Chuck Colson tells a story about 20 American soldiers in World War II prison camp. After working the fields for the enemy, the enemy guard lined them up and counted only 19 shovels with the 20 soldiers. The guard yelled at them, Unless you confess and turn over the last shovel, you will be killed. You can imagine the tenseness of the moment. Within Seconds, a young 19-year-old soldier, 19, so young with all of his life ahead of him, a young 19-year-old soldier stepped up and said he would take the blame. He was then immediately shot dead. Afterward, the guard called for all of them to pick up their shovels. And that's when it was revealed that the guard had miscounted how many shovels were on the ground. The 20th shovel was there. This young man stepped into play, not because he thought he was great, but because he knew that if he sacrificed himself, the rest would remain alive. This illustrates well that Jesus sees that we're all going to be dead and headed towards hell unless he steps in our place to take the penalty. Love reigns. In the Godhead love reigns in God's love for us as he invites us into the loving relationship that the father and the son have Love reigns in our loving response back to God In Matthew chapter 22 verse 37 as our eyes have been opened it says and he said to to him you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart With all of your soul, with all of your mind. Basically say, when you know who God is and the majestic nature of God, you give it all to him. I think part of our our issue in our world today, specifically in American culture, is that we say, yes, we love God. Oh, we're, we're American, we're, we're taxpayers, we're, we're good citizens. We love God, we love pizza, we love patriotic things. And we just kind of chunk him into the mess of things we love. And, and when we put him in that kind of category, it's not really love. It's just we love some of the benefits, but we don't pour it all out for God. We don't step into the offering plate and say, I'm, I'm going to sacrifice everything for the great God who loves me says, you should love God. The highest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind. That only takes place when you truly know who God is. On Friday night, we had our Good Friday service, and I was sharing from Matthew chapter 26, where, where Jesus was praying with the Father, preparing for the arrest and the persecution, and the whipping, and, and, and the cross. And he had even prayed, Father, if there's any way this cup could be passed for me, let's, let's have that, but, but not my will, your will be done. Jesus wasn't running away from the, from the opportunity. He just wanted to make sure, is this your will? If it is, I'm willing to go all the way through. And as Jesus was, after that time of prayer, taken away, Betrayed by one of his followers. Ridiculed in front of the high courts. Shamed. Whipped. Spit out. On the cross. And they're they're, they're gambling for his clothes. He he even, uh, uh, not out of hatred but out of love, says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then he breathed his last. In Matthew chapter 27... God gives us this this precious verse to show us how his love was demonstrated and received. In Matthew chapter 27 verse 54 it says, When the centurion, the Roman guard there who was putting uh, Jesus to death among uh, many. When the centurion and those who were with them, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and all that had taken place, they were filled with awe and said... Truly, this was the Son of God. I mean, at the height, the zenith of of Satan's plan, he was like, Satan is like, Yes, we've crushed him. The Roman soldiers, he's dead. All the religious leaders, like, Finally, he's gone. And in the midst of all of this clamor and confusion, The men who were standing there putting him to death, who had done this thousands of times. Many men, many women put to death on the cross and they're watching Jesus. The way he had had walked through that time, the way he hung there for hours, the way he responded. And what did they say? He's the son of God. We've never seen anything like this. His love pierced them even in the way he died. They didn't have to wait till the resurrection. They knew it by watching his life and looking into his eyes and knowing, this is God. That's an amazing thing. This is the heart of response when you really look at the life of Jesus. Even the centurion guards who had no religious affiliation were probably very secular in their mindset. And they're standing there. They had already mocked him with the sign above his head, the king of the Jews. And then when they watched him, they really realized... He is the king. He is God. Watching Jesus did not bring to them a misplaced self-love, but a heart that magnified and loved the God of all the universe. Love reigns, not only in, in how we respond to loving God, but also love reigns in our love for others and how we respond to them. Do we love God and do we love others with the same love God has given us? It's not about thinking of yourself less. It's simply thinking about yourself less and starting to think about others. When you're filled with the love of God, you're not looking for them to fill your empty tank. Sometimes people get into friendships so empty and they, they demand They expect that all the emptiness that they have will be filled with somebody else's love. People get into dating relationships this way. They get married. They come in about half full and they say, oh, my spouse is going to overfill me with all that I need. And then you find yourself still empty. Why? Because they're half empty as well. It is good to love one another, but if we're not finding our complete love from God, we'll never find it in this earth. We cannot say to everybody, the world revolves around me, pour into me all the love I need. we got to find that God is sufficient and he's enough. And from the overflow of his love in us, we express love to others. Love reigns in our love for others. Jesus gave this teaching in John 13 when he said a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, I poured into you, you are also to love one another. By this all people will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. This kind of love expands the love definition that the world will not give you. Jesus said in the Sermon of the Mount, love your enemies... You got anybody in your life that just irritates you or you avoid and and you consider themselves kind of the out? Some of them you may be related to. Some of them you work with. Some of them are neighbors. Some of the people just drive down Ward's Road. When you know God and you've been brought into a loving relationship and you've been filled with his love and not an empty tank where you're trying to fill it with other people's love, when you truly know God and you have his love, you can love your enemies and you can pray for those who persecute you. Jesus told us you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The fifth and final. Place where I see that love reigns is love reigns in the authority of Jesus See, Jesus the Son of God took on flesh and he dwelt among us and for 33 years he walked the earth serving the hungry healing the broken delivering the oppressed and he announced the coming of God's kingdom and the restoration of all things he claimed to be the Son of God and many believed him to be the true king of the universe Yet not all did. In fact, one had a particular conflict with him. His name was Herod. He was the ruler in Jesus' day. Herod was a tyrant. And constantly afraid that his own authority would be undermined if anybody tried to rise up. And so any potential of a king would be a threat and must be eliminated, eradicated. But I want you to listen to the words of Jesus. Jesus. Once again, from the high priestly prayer, Jesus praying to the Father, he says, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Then he goes on, since you, the Father, have given him, the Son, authority over all flesh. You realize the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit were all a part of creation, and the father said, I'm giving all authority over all flesh to Jesus. When he steps into the earth, it did not matter if Herod was against him or the whole Roman guard was against him or all the religious leaders. The one who had authority was Jesus. He's praying this before the, the, uh, the crucifixion. He had the authority, though some thought they could take it from him. Jesus said in verse 4 of John 17, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And then in verse 7, he says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you have given me out of the world. His authority is clear in this passage. His objective was to glorify God, magnify the greatness of God, and to draw people to him. After Jesus' death and resurrection, his authority is repeated, and then he passes the commission on to us. When Jesus came, he says, I'm going to magnify, I'm going to glorify God, and I'm going to draw people to him. Now, after he died and rose again, he said, this work will continue on, that you as believers in the risen Christ will glorify and magnify the greatness of God, and you're going to help people come to Jesus. Matthew chapter 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. So what does he do with that authority? He passes it to you. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. No matter how many doubted, Jesus was still king of the Jews. No matter how many mocked him, Jesus is still the authority of the world. No matter how many questioned his power, he is the one who defeated death once and for all. Every religion on the planet has some type of religious leader they follow. And every one of them has died and did not rise. If you're an unbeliever in Jesus Christ, that's the one place you're going to have to convince me why Christianity is a farce. You cannot go to the tomb and show me Jesus' body. It is not there. Over 500 witnesses saw him after he rose from the dead. If we had a courtroom and over 500 witnesses kept coming in one by one to share their testimony, the jury would say, can we stop? We've already heard enough. After just a few It's the same story over and over and over again. Even uh, Jesus' younger brother, James, who did not trust in Jesus as his older brother as the Savior until after he saw him rise from the grave. He thought he was foolish. He thought he was crazy. He tried to convince others not to follow Jesus. And when he saw the resurrected Lord, it changed his universe. He became the first pastor of the Jerusalem church. Over 500 witnesses attest to it. If you can convince me Jesus didn't rise from the grave, so be it. But all evidence shows from eyewitnesses and many written accounts. God took on flesh. His name was Jesus. God took upon himself the sins of the world. God went into the tomb after he died and he rose from the grave. He has the authority over sin and death. And he has the authority over your life. It never changed. So what are we doing with it? See, the love of God is our authority. He is reigning over the entire world. In his authority, Jesus is calling you to receive his love. And to be invited into a loving relationship with him. He's telling you to to follow him. And to know what true love is. In his authority, Jesus is calling you to reach the world through the love of God. To make disciples. Here today, whether online or in person, there are basically two types of people. Maybe you've been waiting for Jesus to prove himself to you in a unique way. You've never made a decision to to let Jesus' love reign in your lives. You've not bowed to the authority that God has certainly given to the Son. Maybe you're like Herod, and you simply don't want to give up control of your life. You are the ruler and reigner of your life. You think you should be in complete authority. And Jesus steps in and says, I am the authority, not only of this world, but of you. It's time to surrender. You'll never find a more loving, gracious authority in your life than Jesus. In our lives, there can only be one king, one authority. Who sits in the driver's seat of your life? Now, some of you, I know, when you drive... You drive intentionally because you don't care for somebody else driving you. You get car sick when they drive. You get scared. Anybody ever ridden in a vehicle in a foreign country when somebody else had to drive? You haven't lived until you've done that. I've done that in Honduras, I've done that in Guatemala, I've done that in, in, uh, in, uh, in Africa, and it's scary. You just trust in Jesus, you pray up and say, well, to live is Christ, to die is gain, so I'll just live with that. The reason we like control is because we think we're really in control of something. And Jesus says, you don't need to be in control. You just need to follow. That Jesus it should be the driver of your life. And let me tell you, you will be pleased on where you go when you follow him. When we surrender to his authority, love truly reigns in our life. We begin to listen to his leading We become like him. We put others first. We live sacrificially. Now if Jesus is dead, none of that matters. Forget all benevolence. Forget all mission trips. Forget all just being nice to each other. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead and he's not authoritative, who cares who's an authority? We can all be our own authority and we'll just all be divided. We'll all be just self-lovers and hate everybody else. But that's not what we see in Jesus. He rose from the grave and it changed Everything, He is the king and he is our authority. Right now, for those who've never uh, surrendered to the authority of Christ, never uh, entered into the loving relationship that Jesus invites you to, I, I invite you to surrender your life to Jesus today. Stop running, stop denying, stop ignoring. Today ought to be a day that you become a disciple and follow him, whether you're, you're here in person or you're online. This is you, let me lead you in a prayer. I'm going to invite everybody to just close your eyes and and listen to this prayer. But if you are one of those individuals that have never truly confessed your sins or or accepted the invitation to follow Jesus, perhaps you should pray these words right now. Jesus, I confess that I have lived my own way and under my own authority for far too long. I've sinned against others and have sinned against you. I am sorry and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that you died on the cross and that you rose on the third day for me. I welcome your Holy Spirit to work in my life. I believe in the resurrection and oh, how I want everyone to hear about it from me. Thank you. For promising to always be with me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed this prayer, and that was a genuine, heartfelt prayer, and you were talking to God, you've been adopted as a child of God and you've entered into His family. You have become a believer in Christ. And now it's time to grow as a disciple. After the service, I'm going to invite you to come see me in the parlor. I've got some materials, some free materials I want to put in your hands to help you grow. I'm willing to, to do whatever it takes to help you understand your faith. Some things may be confusing, some things cloudy, but I want to help you establish your faith so you can follow him and understand the true loving relationship that he provides. I talked about two different kinds of people. One is somebody who's never received Jesus and never surrendered to his authority. The second is that some here today or someone watching online may have already trusted in Jesus, but perhaps you've grown a little cold. Perhaps you've drifted some. Perhaps you've strayed and, and now you're just basically living for yourself once again. And the resurrection is a great reminder that Jesus has not abandoned you, but he's calling you back to himself. Peter, who, who was one of the strongest disciples before uh, the, the, you know, the death, uh, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, he, he was right there. He even told Jesus, You know, uh, others may abandon you, but I will never deny you. Now, Jesus warned him, Oh, you're, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows in the morning. He says, No, I'll never will. You know the story when Jesus began. To be persecuted, he's going through the court proceedings. People say, "Aren't you one of his?" And he would deny, even backtrack from a little servant girl, saying, "I don't even know him." Though Peter was unfaithful, Jesus never was. And I think of this resurrection of Jesus when Jesus went to go see Peter, and then. He asked him, do you love me? Of course, Jesus says, yeah, yeah. Peter says, yeah, yeah, I I love you. Actually, in the Greek, you you could literally translate, yeah, I like you a lot. And he says, but do you love me? Yeah, you you know that I do. I, I really do. And then he asked him a third time, three times of asking because there were three denials. And you know, it was interesting how Jesus answered. If Peter was going to love Jesus, he would have to show him. Go love the sheep. Go feed them. Go love those who I love, and that'll show that you truly love me. Perhaps this morning, you're like Peter and you got off track a little. But I want you to encounter the risen Savior again today. He's calling you back. He hasn't left you. Neither leaves you nor forsakes you. We can open our eyes to the love that reigns in the Godhead. We can open our eyes to, to see the love that uh, reigns in, the, in his love for us. That love reigns in our responsive love back to God. And our love reigns when we begin to love others like he loves them. And it's ultimately shown when love reigns is when we follow the authority of Jesus. See, God is spreading the good news throughout the world of the risen Savior. That's a message we can proclaim every day, not just in the spring season. But I want you to listen to this last verse as we're getting ready to close. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, it says this. So we have come to know. That's a start right there. Come to know. Some people say, well, I know God. Satan and the demons know God. They're they're not confused at all. They know who he is. But there's a difference. The verse goes on and says, Well, we have come to know, that's a beginning point, and to believe. That's essential. To know about God and to believe in God are two different steps. But it goes on. So we have come to know and to believe. What do we believe? The love that God has for us. God is love, it says. And whoever abides in love, abides in God. And God abides in him.